Well, I'm so happy to see all of your smiling faces today. And, and for those of you watching online, thank you for tuning in. We hope you can join us at some point and, and come down and visit us. We'd love to meet you and, and say hi and, and give you a free gift. If you are new here today, we do have a gift to give to you. Just go ahead and see a service host at the end of service, and they'll give you a free book um, just for saying thank you for, for stopping by today. You guys want to hear something funny? Yes. All right, got another one. No Raiders today. No, 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 no. I'm a faith man. In a, there is a man who was caught shoplifting in a store, and he was at the court. The judge said, sir, I understand you stole a can of peaches. How many were there? He said, five. The judge said, okay, I'll give you one week for each peach. So you have five weeks to serve. Just after that, his wife stood up and said, your honor, may I say something? The judge said, sure, what is it? And she said, he also stole a can of peas, too. <laughs> I'm going to knock it off already. Knock it off. These aren't even funny. I like them, though. I have a good sense of humor, I believe. You ready for the word today? Yes. We're talking about change. We're still in the subject of change how to change, what to do to change. Change is always coming. Uh, there was a quote that I read, and it said, the only consistency is change. The only constant is change. You can guarantee that in your life, change will occur. You'll, you'll, maybe you're a child, and, and you start to grow up, and you're a young boy, and all of a sudden, one day, your voice just starts acting up. And it starts to crack, and it starts to go high and low, and you don't know what's going on. Well, let me tell you, son, change. There's change happening. Maybe you're at, working at a job. You've been there for 20-plus for years, and all of a sudden, you get some bad news from, from your boss and the higher-ups, and they're going under. What's happening? Change. There's change that happens all of the time in our life. And so how do we adapt with change? How do we change as life continues? Most importantly, how do we change to become more Christ-like? That's the most important out of everything else. How do we adapt and how do we change with, with how God wants us to change into? The Bible talks about in Romans how we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word transform, it, it means to completely be changed into a different person, to be completely changed into something new. And, and when we're not changing, when we're not evolving and growing in the word and growing in Christ, we're going to be the same stagnant, powerless, depressed Christian that we will always be because we're not doing anything to grow. You can also substitute this word change for grow. How do we grow up into all the things that God has in store for us? If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. That's where we're going to be at today. Luke chapter 7. I got a good word for you. You guys know the man John the Baptist? The Bible calls him the one who was out in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. It also describes him having a, a big long beard with some, some bugs in it. And he liked to eat honey. And he was a weird man, crazy John. And he had a radical life, a very radical life, um, because he was sent by God 
for one specific purpose. For one specific purpose. And that was to prepare the way of Jesus. To proclaim Jesus' coming. To present the Messiah to the people. Now, what's different about John than every other prophet in the Old Testament is that John, he started preaching specifically about Jesus. In the Old Testament, we would get prophecies. We would have abstract verses. We'd have all these things that that pointed to a coming Messiah, but not specifically towards a, a person, just a Messiah coming. And John, when he came, the Bible says that the people flocked to John. The people came to John flocking to him because he was doing something different. There was something different about John than everybody else. And so he was out in the wilderness preaching and, and shouting and, and yelling, and, uh, and he was preparing the way for Jesus to come. In fact, Jesus, I'm sorry, John, he was, he was separated from birth. No other person up until John's day had the Holy Spirit on the inside of them in the womb. John was the first. He was, he, when he was a womb in, in Elizabeth's tummy, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's such a great thing that happened to him. Uh, you, did you know that still happens today? Yeah. You know, that still is happening right here, right now. And, and I can't explain it. I can't tell you how that works. But I know that it does work. And just a quick story when my wife and I were, when, when she was pregnant and expecting, uh, she well, how old? You were about eight months, maybe eight and a half months, nine months? Oh, man, she was nine months. I was taking her. I took her like five hours away from our house while she was nine months pregnant in the car. And, and we went to this, this uh, service that my good friend I mentioned earlier, Pastor Ray Jean, was holding, and he had a guest speaker there. And, and he pointed us out from the crowd at the end of the service, and he called us up. And he, there he was, and he laid hands on, on her belly, and he said, if John the Baptist could be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, why can't this kid? Amen. So we received that. We, we took that as ours, and we believe that that happened to him as well. And there's just some great stuff that happened, but John was the first to ever experience this happening up until his time. See, he didn't have a normal life. His life was, was only for one thing. And that was to prepare the way for Jesus. That was it. That was his calling. And, and in the Gospel of Luke, we find that John is in a critical situation. What happened? Well, he got thrown in prison. He, he was, was arrested for, for being who he was and for doing what he was doing. And this was a, 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 an important situation for John because he was in a moment of doubt. He was in a moment of doubting that Jesus was the actual Messiah. How could someone like John doubt? How could he was the cousin of Jesus, let alone that? He had the calling to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the cousin of him. He should have known all these things were the truth, but yet he finds himself in a situation where he's doubting what he once believed. And man, this John. He experienced baptizing Jesus himself. When Jesus came out of the water, the Bible says that the the heavens opened up, the clouds opened up, and he saw the Holy Spirit in a physical form as a dove come down, and he heard the audible voice of God. 
Say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But then he goes into doubt, not knowing if this is actually the Messiah. How can that happen? How can someone who is so sure, so sure that Jesus is the Christ, come to a point in their life where they no longer believe, where they no longer are 100% confident? You see, John, that was his, his, he committed his life to that. He committed his life to preaching for, for the Messiah to come. But the moment he got arrested, thrown in prison, he was there roughly six months at the minimum. The minimum, six months. And now all of a sudden, he's thinking, is all, my, is all my life's work preaching about a false prophet? Is all of my, my, my sacrifices, all my work that I did for the ministry, all to prepare the way for a fake? So John's in prison, and he has this very, very uh, critical situation that he has to get through. And we, we, we end up here in, John, in Luke chapter 7, verse 19. It says, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we have to look for another? Are you the coming one, or do we have to look for another? The only way we can interpret this is that John was doubting. That's as simple as it is. John was doubting. He was in a moment of doubt, and he didn't know if he'd done the right thing by preparing the way for Jesus Christ. He didn't know if, if he was the one or not. And so now he's doubting, and, and this great man who was born prior to the New Testament fell into great doubt. Jesus, he, I'll share later, but he tells us how John was the greatest man, the greatest to ever live, up until his day, better than Moses, better than Elijah, Elisha, Hezekiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, everybody, the greatest man to ever live. And that's important because if John can fall into doubt, guess who else can? I don't care how good you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how much you know the word. If John was capable of falling into doubt, so are you. So am I. So we have to be warned, be cautioned that if, if we, and we're going to dive into it, but if John could do, go into doubt in a critical time with Jesus, Living, walking, and talking on the earth, so can anybody else. So be careful. Don't feel like you can't just because of who you are. Or you can't because of how much word you know. Everyone is susceptible to doubt. So the warning for all of us is that we have to guard our hearts regardless of who we are. You ever know how a plane works? You ever seen how a, a plane actually takes off and, and goes into the air? Yeah, it has ginormous turbo engines, right? It's a big engine on the side of the wings. But the, the real reason that an airplane is able to fly is because of, of lift, lift and thrust. You ever heard of those two terms before? Lift and thrust are the, are the most important components of any airplane to fly. If I fold up my, my paper and make a paper airplane, 
and I throw it, what's that called? That's the thrust. But I have to actually make the airplane with the right aerodynamics to provide the lift. Because I can crumple up the paper and, and, and give it thrust, but it's just going to go straight down. It, it might go for a little bit because of the thrust, but it's just going to go straight down. It needs lift to keep it in the air, right? It needs something else. And what I love about airplanes, I mention them a lot, but I love the thing about airplanes is that they don't just do away with gravity. Airplanes don't just decide, oh, gravity does not work today. We're going to fly. No, airplanes overcome gravity. That despite gravity still being a factor, they say, I am going, I'm saying like airplanes say like they actually speak. <laughs> airplanes, they overcome gravity by how they're designed, by how they're made. If, if you were to take away the engines and if you were to take away the lift, once that's taken away, what happens? It falls out of the sky. Now, what you won't find is you won't find an airplane flying and then shutting off the engine, and it goes like this. Boop. What happens? It slowly glides down. But it'll never glide back up. It'll only go down. You ever seen people jump off of cliffs and, and on those big, giant paragliders? And did you know where they can't go? They can't go up. They're only, they're only going down. You might look like you're flying, but you're just falling with style. Who says that? Buzz Lightyear says that? You're, you're not actually flying. You're, you're falling down slowly, right? And, and same thing with parachuters. When you're, when you're parachuting and you're, you're flying, you're not flying. You're falling down slowly, right? And the, th the thing that, that we need to take from this is that the moment we stop using faith, we don't just end it. We don't just fall and, and, and lose everything. You ever remember the, the story of Peter walking on the water? Our men's group has been talking about it for the past four weeks. When Peter walked on the water, the Bible says he looked away from Jesus to the storm, and then it, he began to sink. Have you ever seen someone begin to sink or just sink? Well, Peter began to sink. Well, that's impossible. Well, he also walked on the water, so it is possible. And he, as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus reached out his hand and he pulled back up, P Peter back up on the water and they both walked back to the boat on the water. So that shows me that you don't just lose all faith the moment you start doubting. You begin to sink. You begin to lose it. That, that, that's how an airplane falls down when you turn off the engines. It doesn't just fall out of the sky, it glides down. It slowly begins to descend. And when we have doubt that comes into our heart, when we stop using faith, that's us gliding down. That's us descending down. Because the truth is, we can never just coast in our Christian life. We can't just have faith for a season and then say, well, that was a good season. Now I'm going back to my default and then expect good outcomes. You turned off the engine. You turned off what's actually powering you to keep in the air. Again, you're not defying gravity when you're in the airplane. And just like with faith, when we have faith, we're not just, or we're not just saying that nothing exists outside of our faith. 
what we're saying is no matter the circumstances, our faith is allowing us to overcome those circumstances. We're not just saying they don't exist. That's denial. But we are saying that we have something that's better, something that's overpowering it. The Bible says that our victory is our faith, that that's the only way we can have true victory is through faith. So if you get to a place where you're just coasting and you're not even using faith, you're, you're, just, you're just living life, man. You have no faith for nothing, but good things are happening, but you don't have faith, you're coasting. You're stagnant. You're right where the devil wants you. When we're coasting and everything is, is, is good and everything, is, we don't have any work to put into faith, it's a dangerous place to be in. So why did John doubt in the first place? Why did John doubt in the first place? Well, I believe that John was one of the spitfire people. You ever met one of those people before? They're just, just go, 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 go. You ever met someone who just like can't stop talking? I might talk a lot on Sunday mornings, but man, if you ask my brother-in-law, when he comes over, we just sit on the couch and just don't say anything. I don't talk a lot outside of the Bible. If I'm not talking about the Bible, my conversation is very minimum. I, you guys have probably have experienced that at some point in, my, in your, our relationship. And that's just, not be, that's just because I, I don't have much to say except what the Word has to say. Uh, I, that, I, this is my best talking point. I, I'm getting back into sports a little bit, so I, I'll maybe discuss a little bit of sports with you. Uh, but this is my jam, and if I can get you talking with the Word with me, we, we, won't, we won't stop talking. So... What was I saying? Oh, so someone who, who just talks all the time, they're just a spitfire. There's someone who just, who's always like on edge. You ever meet some of those people before? Well, I think this is what John the Baptist was like. He was just so radical. And he just, everywhere he went, you knew he was there. He was either minister. If, if he was here today, he'd be the one that's downtown on Main Street, just walking around the streets, talking to people, preaching. You probably think he's wacko. I think that's who John was. And because John was, was thrown into prison, all that stopped. I mean, he might have ministered with the inmates, but man, compared to his life outside of prison, he was zealous. This man was a zealous man. He challenged the scribes. He challenged the Pharisees. He was one of those. He called them vipers, just like Jesus. He called them vipers. And he was this guy who was always out and about preaching. And then he gets thrown in prison, and all of that stuff was thrown out the window. There was no more challenge. There was no more people to talk to. There, there was nothing for him to do but think. See, those people who are, who are kind of bouncing off the wall, they never sit still, ever. You ever noticed that before? They can't sit in silence. They can't drive without the radio on. They have to always be talking. And I think this is who John was. And the moment he gets thrown in prison, he was silenced. And he couldn't do what he was called to do. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When, when you are, are believing for something or you've been having faith for something and all of a sudden it comes to a, a, a crashing halt and then it's, it doesn't progress and you're, you're stuck in that situation for months, for years, 
for decades. All of a sudden, the hope you once had starts to dwindle. The hope that you once had starts to to fade away, and then your heart starts to harden, and you stop believing what you once believed. We see this all the time with people. That's just how people work. If we don't see instant results, I don't want it anymore. If, we don't, if, we, if it doesn't give me my, my burrito in one minute or less, I don't, I don't want it, right? And we don't like things that require us to, to wait. And so once this happened, once John was thrown in, in prison, John wasn't seeing what he was called to do happening anymore. He wasn't out preparing the way for Jesus anymore, was he? He was stuck in prison. He wasn't out there baptizing people, was he? He was stuck in prison. And what that can do to a man and to a person with that type of zeal can, can crush their spirit. Not, not their Holy Spirit, but the, their, their attitude. The, the, what makes a person a person. It can crush them. I, I've had a, a lot of conversations with, with athletes. And, and I say athletes because they, they're not athletes, but they think they are. And uh, there is this one. I had a good friend of mine a long time ago. Uh, played sports all throughout high school and even before that and a little bit after that. And, I mean, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't active. Like, he just played, like, every once in a while, right? That type of athlete. And he just played every once in a while. Didn't work out. Didn't even look like he was an athlete. And he was playing basketball one day, and he jumped up, and he came down, and pop goes his ACL. And so his ACL... It exploded, I guess, and then he had surgery on it. He had to wear a, 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 a brace on it for many months. And once he got it taken off and it was healed up, doctor said he really wouldn't be able to do much about it. Um, and so he, he got physical therapy done, and he worked it out, and he was able to play again. And so he played basketball again and was out with the boys, and all of a sudden he jumped up in the air again, came back down, and pop goes the other ACL. Go through the same exact procedure, same process, same recovery time. And during both of his injuries and his recovery, he asked me, and he would say things like, I don't know why God let this happen. And I, in hindsight, I'm just like, seriously? Really? It's, it's almost comical to me right now. Like, you really think that God did that? You really think that? Because God didn't do that, let me just tell you. I hurt my knee a, a couple months ago, and God did not do this. I did this. But what happened was he started thinking, man, I guess God's just trying to teach me patience. I guess God's just trying to teach me this because he wouldn't have allowed this unless he wanted me to go through something. And, and he had this mindset that, that God was showing him something. But it, throughout his entire recovery, he was just so down and so upset. And man, I'm, I can't play basketball anymore. And, and I can't do this. And, and he was pretty much depressed. And it, it, it goes to show that when something happens to you that you thought was your everything and it's taken away from you, it can hurt somebody. I've, and there's other athletes who are in soccer and, and I, I used to know. And uh, in high school, they, they were the best players and they played club soccer. They played when they were kids. And then all of a sudden, once they graduate high school, they're expecting to get some sort of scholarship to play 
in college and then someday go to the pros. And then once that graduation comes in high school, no offers came from college and they just go downhill. I thought I was going to do this for the rest of my life. Well, who told you that? Your mommy and daddy? Or did God say that? Because if God didn't say that, you're not going to do that. If God didn't line that up for you, why are you hoping to do something that he did not call you to do? And so they get this crushing news that no one's going to recruit me and no one's going to get me on their team or, or you have a career-ending injury. You can never play again. All of these kids go downhill. Their life's over because what they thought they were going to do forever ended. And that's what happened to, to John. What he thought he was going to do forever stopped, came to a halt. And he was in prison, wasn't able to do anything. So he says, guys, go to Jesus and ask him, are you actually the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? So in Luke chapter 7, verse 19, just the next verse down, it says, John, he called his disciples. In verse 20, it says, when the man had come to him, to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Verse 21 says, in that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things that you've seen and heard, that the blind see, that the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended of me. When I first read this, it, it just blew over my head. I didn't understand this. And I, I thought, Jesus, that was, that was kind of rude. You know, I know Jesus was never rude, but at first thought I was, okay, Jesus, that was a little rude of you not to answer his question, not to answer what his disciples asked you. Hey, Jesus, are, are you the Messiah or do we look for another? The, the answer would be, yes, I'm the Messiah, right? Yes, I am. But instead, Jesus, it says an hour later, he answers them. You know what he was doing during that hour? Proving he was. How? Many afflictions were healed. That the deaf hear, the blind can see, that the poor had the gospel preached to them. In that hour, Jesus went about healing and doing many miracles just to prove he was who he said he was. But even then, that still might not make the clearest sense because he already was doing that. He was already healing. He was already preaching. He was already delivering. He was already doing all those things before John was thrown in prison. So why was this any different? Why was this hour any different than the couple of years that Jesus was doing all these things? And, and when you look at it, most people would want to hear a good word of encouragement. Oh, Jesus, I'm, I'm doubting today. I'm not in faith. Can you, just, can you just tell me something good? 
can you just do something good for me? And, and what we as humans like is we like to get the good feelings. We like to get the good emotions to get us back into shape, to get us back into faith, right? I mean, here, here John, he was in prison. He was, he was doubting. He could have been sad. He could have been depressed. What, he could have been like any other person that experiences bad things in life, down and out, right? And usually what they need is, hey, buddy, cheer up, man. It's going to get better. You're going to walk out of this. You're going to see the end, right? Who, who would not want to hear good news? Who would not want to hear an encouraging word? But this is what happens. If we keep reading in verse 24, it says, When the messengers of John departed, so they're gone, he began to speak to everybody else concerning John. That'd be like if Eloy came to me today and said, Matt, I'm really down. I'm feeling this way today. and I just don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I feel like this is happening, and it's all going, going downhill from here. And I said, Eloy, I'll see you later, buddy. <laughs> hey, everybody. Eloy is the greatest man ever. While well, he's gone. What good does that do to anybody? And this is exactly what Jesus did. It says the disciples had parted, and then he began to speak to everyone, saying, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? So he's being sarcastic here. He's saying, you guys didn't go out to the wilderness to see just a, a, a reed shaking. You can see those everywhere. You didn't see a guy just in, in, in soft clothing. He's saying, why did you go out to go see John the Baptist? This is why. He said this in verse 26. A prophet? Yet I say to you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, raise your hand, everybody. That's all of us. Among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And this is for us right here. But he who is least in the kingdom, say that's me, is greater than he. So up until then, nobody was greater than John the Baptist. Nobody. Except Jesus. No one before their time, Moses, Abraham, Abel, Adam, no man or woman was greater than John the Baptist. How good do you think John would have felt if his disciples said, hey, this is what Jesus said about you. This is what you, dude, man, that's so good news right there. But why did he wait for his disciples to leave before he said any of it. I believe the reason why he did this is because what Jesus does for us and what he provides for us and how he acts towards us is greater than any word anyone could ever say. 
I might say I love you, but if I don't do anything showing I love you, it's just words. Jesus could say anything, but if he didn't do what he said, they meant nothing. Nothing. We need to get to a place, church, where we aren't looking for words and good feelings and good emotions and tickling our fancies. We need to get to a place where what God did for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross is more powerful than a hug. More powerful than a, a, a sweet, encouraging text. Mm. I'm, get, I'm getting a little ahead of myself right now. Tell me to hold up. Here's the importance of all of this. John the Baptist was John the Baptist because, oh, you got to hear me, church. John the Baptist was John the Baptist because he chose to be John the Baptist. What do I mean by that? John the Baptist took the scrolls of Isaiah, read where it said, I am the one that's calling out in the wilderness. And it said, that's me. No one forced him to do that. God didn't say, you don't have a choice. John the Baptist chose to be John the Baptist. Matthew the pastor chose to be Matthew the pastor. Not because of my own ambition, but because of the leading of the Holy Spirit that was the same Holy Spirit that was in John. John chose it. Amen? John chose to be who he was, therefore he had to know what the scriptures said. If John knew that the scripture says, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said, if he knew that, that means he knew the rest of the scroll of Isaiah. You got to remember, church, they didn't have this with them at their disposal. They had scrolls. And scrolls didn't have numbers on them or chapters on them. They were just one giant letter, one big letter. And so he says he, he knew who he was by knowing what the Old Testament said about him, specifically what Isaiah had said about him. So if he knew that and Jesus knew that, because, of course, he knew that, Isaiah 50, or 35 says this, strengthen the weak hands and make the firm of the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come and save you. Verse five, then the eyes of the blind shall be what? Open. Open. The ears of the deaf shall be what? Unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the or the dumb will sing, and water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Matt, where are you going with this? Go back with me to Luke seven, verse twenty-two. Jesus answered and said to him, After that hour of saying nothing. Go and tell the Johns you've go tell John the things you've seen and heard that what? Blind. The blind see. 
What? The lame walk. What else? Lepers are cleansed. What else? What else? What did Isaiah say? That the eyes of the blind are open. The ears of the deaf are unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. Friends, Jesus did not just do anything. Jesus fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah has said. And he said to his disciples, essentially, go tell John, I just fulfilled a handful of prophecies just for his sake. See, if John knew what Isaiah had said about him being the voice of the, in the wilderness, then John knew what the prophecy said about Jesus doing everything he just did in that same hour. Amen. That's why this is all important. Jesus didn't ignore him. He didn't brush it off. Jesus knows the importance of the word over emotions. Come on, church. I am preaching you don't clap mm. Romans 10 17 says so faith then comes by hearing hearing by the word of God see we don't use emotional things to overcome doubt although a, a word of although that word that Jesus said about John would have probably encouraged John it only would have encouraged him for what a day what happens tomorrow when he's right back in the same prison cell, not knowing what, anything, what, what Jesus is doing outside, not knowing if the prophecy came to pass, what happens then? Hey, guys, go send again for Jesus. Ask him if he's still the Messiah. But now that they came back saying, hey, Jesus just healed the blind eyes. He just healed the deaf ears, the lame man. He just preached the gospel to the poor. He did all these things within one hour. And that's all he wanted me to say. That's all he wanted to share back with you. I can guarantee you John was encouraged. That John was in that prison cell with faith, knowing not just that Jesus was the Messiah, but man, okay, my ministry was worth it then. I, I, I did what I was called to do. I did what he called me to do. So today, we're dealing with, with doubt. We're dealing with how to overcome doubt God's way. How to change. The, the, one of the ways that we grow into, into who God calls us to be is overcoming doubt. The Bible says, we talked about it last week of the sower and the, the parable of the sower and the four types of ground. We ended off with the thorny ground, the weeds and the thorn come in, they choke the word because they got distracted with the cares of the life, of, of, of this life and the, and the deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things. It choked the word and so there was no, no fruit coming out of them. But then the last ground, it says, this was good ground. This was good ground where you planted the word and it produced some 30, some 60 and some 100 fold return this is good ground good ground does not have and i talked about it last week the cares of the world the, the thorns and the weeds aren't limited to sinful things they're not limited to that person who has been in the word and all of a sudden oh satan attempts me with this addiction and i lost it that's not all it's limited to it includes that 
but it's also including the distractions of life. Mary and Martha once had Jesus come to their house. And it, by, the Bible says after he came, the, a big multitude started to come in, into the house. And it says that Martha also sat at the feet of Jesus with Mary. But Martha, being distracted by many things, went to the kitchen and started slaving away because she saw all the people in her house and said, we need to make accommodations. Someone needs to feed all of them. And while she was in the kitchen being distracting and being a distraction, she goes to Jesus as he's preaching. She lords herself over him, says, tell my sister to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, you're worried about so many things right now. Be like Mary. She chose the good thing and nothing will be taken from her. She has the good ground and nothing will be taken from her. See, so the distractions of life comes and it chokes up the word and we become unfruitful. Not just distraction of hobbies and, and friends and, and things, but the distraction of what people say. Of what people say. You get a bad doctor's report. Doctor says this about you. That's a word that is in your heart that'll choke out the word of God if you let it. So going back to this, Jesus, he's showing John how to overcome doubt with the word versus emotions, versus feeling good. That's a good ground. A good ground that's able to withstand the persecution and affliction and a good ground that's able to resist the distractions of life, the distractions of people's words, the distractions of lustful things. Good ground does not mean more ground. Good ground just means pure ground, ground that is free from contaminants, ground that is free from weeds. Amen? I had said something last week, I'm going to admit, that I did not know it to its full, um, it, the full capacity of it. I had told you last week that if you put a seed in the ground and there's weeds in the ground with that seed, that the ground will actually go more to the weeds because the weeds need more nutrients to stay alive. It takes more than the seed. And I, has, I said that with the, on just the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I remember I heard it when I was watching it back, because I watched it back. I watched it back, and I heard it, and I looked it up, and I was true, or it was true. I was right, and that's the Holy Spirit. But the weeds, when you have weeds in the ground, it takes more from the ground than the seed does. So good ground does not just mean, oh, it's just a lot of ground. There's a little bit of weeds here and there, and there's a little bit of rock. It's just good. It's pure, pure ground. And pure ground requires us to have no doubt. Doubt in the ground is a weed. Doubt and unbelief in our ground are thorns, taking life from our heart, and the word of God can't be effective. So the good ground has to have no doubt. And the way we overcome doubt is not by getting emotional. It's not by feeling good. The antidote to doubt and unbelief is not a feel-good moment. It is not a spectacular encounter with God. The antidote for unbelief and doubt is simply the word of God. That's it. 
That's it. See, I love, I love you guys because you guys hear a good word and then you're a little hesitant at first and then, and then one other person starts joining you, then another one, and then all. Not sure. Get to a place where you don't rely on your feelings to tell you the truth, to tell you how you should feel. You need to get to a place where the word of God is more to you than your feelings. Jesus pointed John back to the word instead of some emotional feel-good thing. He pointed him back to what does the word say. I, I mention him a lot because he's, he's one of my good mentors and pastor, Jeremy Pearsons, and he always shares about his family upbringing and, and how it was as a child and he said, whenever they were, they were faced with something, his parents would always tell him, Jeremy, what does the word say? What does the word say? And he's like, man, they, they used to tell me that all the time. At some point, I'm just like, well, you tell me what does the word say since you obviously know what the word says. And they got to this point where him and his sister were sitting at the dinner table with his parents and uh, they were talking about just family things and her sister, his sister started talking to them about certain issues that happened. And his parents would tell her the same thing. What does the word say? And she's like, no, but, but, but seriously, guys, this is happening, and what do I do? What does the word say? And so she finally looks over at Jeremy and goes, Jeremy, come on. What do I do about this? And he goes, well, what does the word say? <laughs> and that's just how their, their family was built. That's how their, their family was made to operate. And I love that about them because... That is a good foundation on what to do whenever anything comes into your life. What does the word say? If we're not responding, you know, we, we, we like to say, what would Jesus do, right? But okay, let's throw that cliche away because most of us don't know what he would do because none of us are in the word. None of the people that say, what would Jesus do, are even in the word to tell you what Jesus would do, Right? So instead of what would Jesus do, just default to what does the word say? What does the word of God say about this situation? And whatever it doesn't say, we're not going to agree with. Whatever, whatever the world is trying to say about the word, we're not going to side with. But we're going to side with what the word says about everything else. The Bible says to let all man's words be a liar and the word of God be truth. Let, let the word of God be truth alone and everyone else a liar. That's how much we should esteem God's word in our life. Amen? Amen. In Hebrews chapter 12, as I'm wrapping up, can I have the band come back up? In Hebrews chapter 12, thank you, Lord. The author of Hebrews is, is writing, it's a really good uh, a good letter, and he's talking about Christian maturity. I'm going to turn there just so I don't miss anything. You know, it's, it's good to have notes sometimes, but I really only have the notes that I'm trying to preach on because I'd put like the whole chapters on here, and we'd never be out of here. So I'm going to try to get to it if I can. If I don't, we'll just move on. There it is. Hebrews is always so hard to find because it's so small. In Hebrews chapter 5, the author is talking about growing up and, and 
qualifications for being a priest or qualifications of being a leader. And there's a lot of good things about it. But he talks about spiritual maturity. And he says, for this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again for the principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only in milk is unskillful or unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a baby but solid food belongs to those who are of full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised discerning both good and evil there's so much to unpack out of that but i don't have enough time there's different stages of growth in the christian life just like there's different stages of growth in our human life. My son started eating solids about a month and a half ago or so. I'm always, I'm wrong with timelines, so just ask my wife. But he started eating solids not that long ago, but before that, he was drinking milk because he's a baby. He's still on milk as he's transitioning into adult food. And how many of you know that you can't drink milk for the rest of your life? And, and expect to be sustained. It's good for a season. But eventually you need food. You need meat. You need that good protein. You need more than just milk. And what they were saying was, you, that the people he was writing to, he said, you guys, you should be teaching by now. But your babies still. You still need milk. In other words, he was saying, grow up. We all need to grow up from milk to solid food. And unfortunately, many people, many Christians are still sipping on milk. Many churches, and, and you, you can't blame the Christian because the church is preaching milk. The church is giving them bottles of milk every single Sunday. And because of it, the church, the people will never grow, ever if, if, if a message makes you scratch your head sometimes, that's good. It makes you think. It makes you use your head and then it's, instead of just a hat rack. It makes you actually think and use your brain and, and, and have a use. But when, when we're just hearing milk all the time, we're never going to grow into what God has us uh, available for all of us. I believe that God meets us where we are. <clears throat> If you come to him and you say, Lord, I want to start growing, he'll meet you right there. He's not going to abandon you and say, well, you have, you have to reach level five before you can commune with me. God meets you where you're at. Jesus meets everybody where you're at. That's the good news about him. But the greater news is that he won't let you stay there. He'll let you come along with him. He'll, he'll lead you into everything that you need to go into. Amen? But we need to get to a place where the word of God is our food. <clears throat> the word of God becomes our nutrients. See, milk is just the encouraging word. God loves you. Jesus is here for you. God wants you well. He wants you healed. He wants you prospering. We'll see you later. That's milk. It's good news. It's truth. But it's milk. You need the food that sustains you. The food that challenges your thinking. 
the word that makes you go, hmm, maybe I have been praying wrong. Maybe I have been believing God wrong. Maybe I have a misunderstanding of God's true character. Food requires you to chew. Food requires you to, to process. You don't have to process milk. You just drink it. But food, you have to chew it. You have to break it down. And then you have to swallow it for it to actually be effective in your body. And the same thing with the word of God. You can't just come to church and, and hear milk, go home, and then a bad thing happens and go, I have all the faith in the world. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you're not hearing the true word of God, you can't operate in faith. It'll be a lot harder for you. And we don't want that for you. We want you to be victorious. We want you to be overcomers, amen. We want you to be people who are, who are not in despair, but you are in victory all the time, amen. That requires you to ditch the milk and to go into God's word and get some real food. In the sixth chapter of Hebrews, I won't read it, but he talks about growing and how to grow and how to, to be a better, a better believer. Chances are, if you aren't growing, you're, you're, you're not going to succeed in the Christian walk. You're going to be the one who, who stumbles a, a long time from now, forgets everything that you learned, and defaults back into the way of the world. We need to be people who keep the word in our heart who rely on the word more than just feelings and, and, and understand that this is your food. This is your sustenance. This is what keeps you alive. Amen? Jesus said, man must not live off of bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's this. Until you, until you make a point to keep God's word as the most important thing in your life, fear, unbelief, and doubt will always overcome you. Every time. And we, we need to know, it's not just feelings that make us victory, victors. It's not feelings and emotions that make us overcomers. It's the word of God. The Bible says that we will overcome by the word, of, blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That the word of God when we understand who, what it says about us, when we understand what it offers us, and we eat the real food, it'll sustain us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning.